Oh, well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode that almost didn't happen again. (laughs) (laughs) And Brock. (laughs) Thank you, Brock, of Passports and Poets, conversations about the power of place, the places that change us, and why it matters. I am your co-host, the cowgirl PhD, Chick Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Rodney Bursil, the photographer-in-chief and gallery owner of Rodney Bursil at Basecamp Gallery. Is that correct? That's something like that. That'll work. And it's become the hottest place in the region. Last time we said the hottest place in town, but it's bigger than that now, Rodney, isn't it? It's it's growing. Yeah. And it and it is hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and rainy, but lots yeah. of good music. We've had some great music there. I'm gonna talk some more about what's going on at the gallery because some really exciting things are coming up. Those of you that don't live in Wimberley or are close by enough to get here, too bad for you. But you can go online at what's the gallery? Um, it's just Basecamp Gallery. Oh, that's too easy. Dot com. Dot com. Yes. And take a look at some of the magnificent um, photos. Actually, go to go to the Facebook page right now. Oh, okay. That's yeah. The website's kind of a landing page at the moment. Well, by the time this comes out, it might be updated, but <laughs> but still go to Facebook. It's yeah, Basecamp Gallery. Or it might have crashed already by then. Yeah, so, we've, you know. we've so go to more. your Facebook, which is just Rodney Brasile, right? No, no, the, for the, you know, or, well, yeah, for, oh yeah, for my photos. Yeah. Rodney Brasile Photography. So what else do you want him to go there for, Rodney? Well, I thought we were talking about Basecamp Gallery. Well, we were trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? <laughs> Well, as you can see, as always, we're already having more fun than the law should allow, and it doesn't allow for some of it from, yeah. what, from what I've heard. Um, before we get started with our wonderful guests, and as is happening more and more lately, I met our guest, Jan Merkin Early, at Basecamp Gallery. And we're going to talk a lot more about why that was and, and the fabulous things that, that she's doing. Um, but the, uh, I forgot what I was going to say right now. Well, I think we're going to talk about upcoming Upcoming adventures. Upcoming things, yes. Those of you who have been listening for the last year know how much, uh, as well as you all, uh, have missed those kinds of very important trips and the kinds of travel that we talk about on this podcast. Rodney, most of all, he's crossed the border from longing and yearning into whining, and luckily, <laughs> but thankfully, the universe has provided uh, a change of plans for you. So why don't you tell us about what's coming up? Because this is really exciting. Yeah, after a you know, year and a half of hiatus. In fact, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this the other day because year and a half, you're hearing all these people that have they're writing books and making albums and doing all these things. The people we've been interviewing that, yeah, in COVID, and, yeah. And I, I <laughs> and felt like, like all I was doing was starting to drink a lot earlier in the day. <laughs> But it's, um, How's your wine glass right yeah. now, Randy, by the way? <laughs> it, it's, it's getting low. Okay. But um, yeah, we, we actually have done quite a bit. We, mm-hmm. we started a podcast during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I've opened a gallery during the pandemic. I'd so say that's I, a lot. I did, I did actually accomplish something, <laughs> yeah, and I, so I didn't. You're yourself. So, yeah. But now but, that the pandemic is at least in a different phase. Yeah, in a different, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I, I haven't watched TV since February, mm-hmm. so to be honest, I don't have a clue what's yeah. going on. Well, I just, don't ask me. I'm the yeah. wrong person. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's my last trip pre-COVID was Africa, and now it's it will be my first trip. Oh, and that's fitting. So yeah, we're, it's, the first time was five weeks, and we did Kenya, Ethiopia, and Tanzania, and now we're just strictly Kenya. But we're doing, um, we're going up to Opajita Conservancy where it's the last two remaining northern white rhinos. Mm. They're the only two left on the planet. And they're, they're working, you know, trying to, you know, working with embryos and trying to, you mm. know, save the species. Oh, gosh. But um, we're going to go see them. And my guide is Sudan, who was the last male that passed away in 2018. His caretaker that was with him 24-7. These, these rangers, they, I mean, these people are amazing humans. They, they live with these animals 24-7, armed guards, and just, you know, to protect them. And he, then there's a, it's probably one of the most famous photos right now of, you know, nature photography. And it's when Sudan died and his caretaker is leaning on him, you know, mourning him. And 
it's yeah the the photo went viral and real long story short i was connected with this guy and i didn't realize who he was at the time i was just i was looking for a guide for this area and this guy that i'm you know just friends with on facebook we've never met I, he he had been over there and i asked him for some advice and he connected me with james and we got to talking and during the conversation i find out that he was sudan's caretaker oh, and now goodness. he's going to be my guide for six days over there but ronnie and, that's how your life has kind of rolled out in the last couple of years these things just quote big air quotes here for those of you who can't <laughs> see them in podland uh, just happened to you in the most wonderful way. So already you're, <laughs> you're very emotional about it. Um, we were talking to, I can't remember if it's Donnie Wynn, who was mm -hmm. our last episode, about how the changes and, and being an artist and what the pandemic had, has done for many of us, whether we had anticipated or not. And I remember talking uh, with you two photographers about well, when you go back this time, you're not going to be the same photographer that you were on your first trip. No, it's every every it's, trip completely. But even more so, I think changes me. And yeah, this one, especially after being stuck at home for a year and a half, to go out and and the thing the thing that's going to be so amazing about this is, but the other part of our trip was we're going over to the Maasai Mara, which we didn't do last time because. It, it actually is the most diverse area. It's where the most interactions are with the animals, but it's also the most popular. And there's so many people over there and there's just trucks everywhere. And it, it just, you, it's too much. But right now there's, there's nobody there, you know? So, and the migration just started and Originally, you know, when the well, migration... What is the migration? The great migration. It's just, it's the wildebeest and the zebras that are crossing the Serengeti mm -hmm. to get over. You know, they're just, they're chasing the grasses and the rains. And um, it's, it's considered one of the top 10 natural wonders in the world. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, there's millions of them. And the, the river crossings where they're, you know, trying to escape crocodiles and whatever, you know, hippos. And it's just, a, it's just an insane thing to see and to be able to go because the way it is the way it's been in the past is there's just there's just rows of trucks and these animals are crossing and they're having to go you know between you know between all these trucks to to get through and now all the trucks aren't there and there's a there was another photographer that was recently there and he's got that wide photo of the whole bank and all the animals crossing, and there's not a single human being there. So I'm, I'm going to get to go witness that, and you know, not have to fight other humans to. What we're really excited about, and not only witness it, um, we are planning with our, our erstwhile brilliant executive producer engineer, <laughs> Brocklin Thomas to actually do some interviews with you while you're there. Yeah, we're going to yeah, That's we'll, gonna be we'll really call in with James yeah. and and whoever else, you know, yeah. it's Now is Rick going with you on yeah. this trip? Oh, remember y'all remember Rick Minshew who um, was a guest for two consecutive weeks because the boys had so much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a highlight. Um, I, I think he, Rick he is will, still talking, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he just talks. So, um, it's going to be very exciting. So, is that the two of you and, and and his wife and Natalie are oh, going. So, okay, great. So, so there's four of you. Yeah, Natalie's going to learn how to be a videographer on this trip. Oh, so. man, you are <laughs> so blessed. You are Actually, you're in a lot of trouble, too. So yeah. <laughs> No, that's going to be great. So now we're going to have to start videoing our podcasts that yes. we've talked about doing, which was a concept that never made any sense to me. <laughs> it's a podcast, people. Why would you? Anyway, but they're very popular, and now that we will have a good videographer, that will be something to look forward to. Yeah. So you're going to be gone how long? Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, three weeks, then I come home for four days, and then I go to Mexico for Great Whites. Oh. So I'll be gone for a month. And Great Whites mean sharks, right? Yeah. I mean, not yes. everybody in our <laughs> listening audience will know No, I'm going means. to see Great White in concert. <laughs> That's a band? Yeah. <laughs> Is that like White Stripes? I mean, <laughs> help me out here, Ronnie. <laughs> well, we just really did want to share that with you because you're leaving, as we do this broadcast, you'll be leaving in four or five days, yeah. five days. Thursday, so, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, five days. Yeah, by the time this comes out, maybe we'll 
throw some early clips on Facebook pages and things like that. So very exciting. And now we are going to turn to the reason why we're here today, aside from all of this exciting news. And that is to introduce to you all, to the listening audience, Jan Merkin Early, who I met at Basecamp Gallery, <laughs> like so many people. I mean, that's kind of the you know, fun thing in Wimberley when you meet somebody is, oh, how do you get to Wimberley and what do you know? Where'd you all meet? And more and more it's becoming, I met at Basecamp. I think that's a new t-shirt. Yeah. Other than I'm a barfly at yeah. <laughs> Basecamp, which I think was custom made for me, but that's okay. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about different parts of Jan's life, but I'm just going to do a little tidbit about in meeting you at Basecamp. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad you're here. And as, as every episode shows, it's a tenuous enterprise at best. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here and we're delighted to have you. And um, one of the things about Basecamp, again, uh, in all seriousness, any way you can find pictures or experience it if you're anywhere in the area, is it is first and foremost an exceptional gallery of your work, Rodney. And I think it does it justice. Um, and everybody who walks in there has that same feeling. And one of the things that makes it so um, unique and successful is that every aspect of it, um, it uh, supports every other aspect. Well, there is the, the wine and bar and craft beer part of it, which we joke about a lot, but it's, it's actually become a central part of the Wimberley neighborhood where people come and have really good wines. And, and now Middleton, a lot of music. And Middleton's Craft Beers, Middleton mm -hmm. Brewery, our own Middleton Brewery here in Wimberley, and lots of great music. And they have, uh, it's a gift shop too. I love that that word. I mean, that doesn't really do it anywhere justice. No, probably not. Because the first time I walked in there, I was blown away. And one of the things I was blown away by, by which I was blown away. Uh, <laughs> I try to be grammatically correct where possible. Um, are, were, at the time when I saw them, these absolutely stunning Textiles, not like anything I've ever seen, both in terms of texture and and the design. And at your opening, which was a lot of fun, I'm just chatting up with everybody, and I meet this fine woman, Jen. And I, I think I was standing there saying, aren't these textiles fabulous? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <you did. laughs> yeah they're all right. And, <laughs> I kind of like them. <laughs> and you just went, well, yes, they are. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Jan is uh, so many things, personally and professionally. Um, she's a designer and a founder at a company called Lily Coy. That's L-I-L-Y-K-O-I dot com. Again, go on and, and see some of these beautiful things for yourself. And it would have been enough, you know, as some of my friends would say. It, it would have been enough if they were just beautiful textiles. But then I started talking to you, and you started telling me about them. So... We're just going to jump in here, and, and the way we do this, we'll kind of meander around and talk about a lot of other things. But I'd like for you to um, describe what they are, and I'd like to talk about first what they mean to you, and then I would love to hear you tell stories about how you came by them. I mean, there's just so much. I could jump in and, and go blah, blah and tell them all for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're but doing I'm gonna, good. I'm going to try and resist that impulse. So again, welcome, Jan. And Thank tell you. us about the textiles at Basecamp Gallery and about Lily Coy. How did Lily Coy even come about the business? Well, um, it's a lot to it's a lot to just answer. jump in. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, eight years ago, my husband and I moved to Vietnam. I had been living in Austin all, most of my life, all my adult life for sure, and um, worked in the music business for many years. And my husband had sold his company and had an opportunity. He's a designer. He does decorative lighting. And his name is? Palmer Early. Who's sitting right over here sitting in right our studio. <laughs> his company is Nelcode. He does beautiful decorative lights for yeah. four hands furniture mm. and restoration hardware and a number oh. of great See, I didn't know retailers. That uh -oh. Yes. Oh, and... Um, Careful, Palmer. You're going to be on here, <laughs> too. We would get him on the <laughs> Pull up your chair, Palmer. <laughs> he should, actually. But um, So he said, you know, he had this call from a British factory owner in Vietnam. And what did I think about going over there and <laughs> What building? was your reaction when he's... I was 
fascinated. Uh, you know, I love traveling. I love, uh, you know, discovering other cultures and the opportunity to embrace, uh, you know, lifestyle in a place that I had. I thought of living many places, but Vietnam yeah. was never yeah. one of them. Yeah. It yeah. was completely random for me. Um, but uh, basically Palmer went, I said, you go check it out. And if it is something you want to do, <laughs> you go, you go, huh? I'll, I'll come. And uh, I was busy consulting at the time. I was consulting for um, Austin City Limits Live, the venue, and I was working with the recording studio side of it. And um, three days into it, he was like, get on a plane. It's, oh, it's amazing. Wow. And uh, so long story short, uh, a month later, we basically packed up our house wow. here in Austin oh, really? and took off. Yeah. It Has, was, did you make a trip in between or you just took it on? Well, his... I, I jumped on a plane very soon after yeah. and uh, we found we went house hunting and the very first like got off the plane. The very first villa we saw ended up being the villa wow. we rented. Where, wow. where, where did y'all live? In Saigon, okay. in, in an area called Tao Dien, District mm. 2. So in mm. Vietnam, it's divided in every little area as a district. Yeah. So what was your impression when you got off that plane the first time? Well, and you're at the airport, it's just chaos. I mean, it's busy all all the time. It's like you're walking out on a hysterical red carpet. There literally <laughs> is like, you get to the international airport and you everybody goes out the same way in this enormous city, that's Saigon. Mm -hmm. And as you go out, you're, everybody's filtered out these sliding two glass yeah. doors and it's literally red carpet and there's oh. like a rope all around the entranceway where you go out to the chaos but everybody's holding signs and trying to climb over each other looking for people that are arriving yeah. and you feel like you all of a sudden you've landed on you know some big hollywood yeah. event but it's totally bizarre <laughs> and crazy and yeah. so um we got there and uh and yeah, once we got through the airport and got got to the house um and settled in, it just was a constant stimulation of excitement, mm -hmm. every total different way of life. But in the process, at, while Palmer is at the factory building, I'm, I'm at the villa trying to figure out how do you find silverware? Is yeah. there, you know, or do we just go with chopsticks? <laughs> or, you know, how do we get, how do we get mattresses, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and uh, it wasn't like in America where you just, Oh, you go to this, you get mm -hmm. this, you know, you're, well, you go get your scooter and you go down to the store and you put, <laughs> put the, mattress the mattress on your back oh, and wow. drive it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, navigating all that. And in that process, I, I went to lunch with some new girlfriends I had found over there. And and this teensy little restaurant wasn't bigger than two of these tables that we're mm. sitting at right now. There was a little piece of vintage indigo. It was hemp dyed with indigo and it had that beautiful batik pattern, but just a small, like maybe a foot long. And I became obsessed with it mm -hmm. and I just couldn't get it out of my head. Yeah. And I kept asking the restaurant owner who didn't barely speak any English and I had zero Vietnamese at that point, where is this from? And all I could get from an understanding was in the mountain, in the mountain. Wow. So literally the next six months, I just was obsessed with this and that's what started my travels mm -hmm. and ended up going into these far reaching villages in Vietnam and learning that this fabric was really not just a piece of fabric, but the fabric of this culture and a, an ability to survive and tell stories and to address and, and give uh, comfort um, with their spiritual and superstitious beliefs. And How did you get into the mountains? I mean, did you just well, it, go it, off? Or? That is, a, <clears throat> I, I remember the very first time, which, you know, I'm in a phase of my life right now where I'm facing all my fears, Good. right? And um, How's and it going for like, you? Is, like you know, being on a podcast? Like being on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. And, um, and that, I think, was the start of it. I was uh, literally turning 50, Mm -hmm. And I was there with, you know, really just starting over, had left everything I knew. Yeah. And, you know, Palmer's busy at the factory all day and I'm sitting here obsessing about this fabric and what are the mountains like. And so, you know, I just threw caution to the wind and just started, how do I get to the mountains? Well, in Vietnam, there's, you could either go on motorbike, which would be impossible because I was too intimidated to, to drive, let alone get on a motorbike and go. <laughs> you know, for on a three-day journey up north. But I got on a plane. I flew to Hanoi from uh, Saigon. And then from Hanoi, there's an overnight train that is like 
the wildest, wackiest thing you've ever seen. Wow, so you you really took off. I really took I just, off. Yeah, were you I, by yourself? I was by myself. I was under the impression that where you were, where y'all were living, that you just kind of no, you know, took wow. off. I really took when off. When you face your fears, wow. you go big, don't you? Yeah, I was like, you know, you got to jump sometimes and hold your nose and yeah. just have faith. And wow. I was scared. I was very scared, but I was possessed. I like, I really, and I was talking to Palmer the whole way and I was really scared and I was on the train and on the train, you get the sleeping room and there, it's like a jail cell, There's like little <laughs> metal bank, uh, bunk beds. And you don't know who's going to be in your car oh at night. <laughs> really? And so I'm like talking to Palmer. I'm so nervous. Like what, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm determined to do it. So we're talking as long as, you know, I have a connection. And and it ended up being every step just ended up being wonderful. Like uh, the, the people that got in my car, you know, the car that I was in, the little room on the overnight train were wonderful and they were sweet and there was no, nothing to fear and, um, you know, and then you get off and you figure out where, how am I going to get to this village, you know, wow. and there are just drivers there and you just say, um, or you point and you start really finding out how to communicate without relying so much. And they, well, what I had known until then was the American way where you have a map and you speak this language and somebody mm -hmm. tells you, and there are these street signs, it's not like that. Mm. And you start realizing that you know, there's a whole other way to go about it. And if you just have faith, you find your way. So there were anchors. Like I knew I had done research. Where would I stay for the night? Where, you know, what were some possible guides? Maybe very similar to the way that, you know, you network for your guides, Rodney. Mm. And, but the more I did it, the more comfort I got. And then I just, it just became a blissful thing where, mm. you know, people understood that I was respecting the culture and we would find intermediaries that could, could communicate or tell me stories. And, you know, like any folklore, there may be several interpretations for a symbol or this or that, but you generally, the more you dig in, the more continuity you seem to be able to find. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just sort of found my way through that. And then through various introductions, the, the fabric I started understanding was part of their clothing. Well, how did they get their clothing? And and in times that are now going away very quickly because, you know, now they just get cheap fabrics that come over or printed with imagery from China or, or mm -hmm. whatever. But back in the day, there was no, it took, to walk 20 miles a day now is no big deal to them up in the mountains. But mm -hmm. back then, you'd walk way farther than that. So, you know, you had to learn to grow your hemp. You had to learn to spin it. You know, farm it, spin it, weave it, dye it. So I started getting into that whole process and buying old clothes. And, and that brings me to, you know, how I ended up amassing a whole entire room and another room in our villa of nothing but old clothes So and did fabrics. you bring a lot of these back from your trip? Every time I would go out and... The first time I went, I just had like one suitcase and then I ended up buying as many suitcases or bags as I could to fill up. And I started realizing, well, I'm going to bring one clothes, one pair of clothes and a change and everything else is going to be suitcase and suitcase. And I'm just going to fill it up yeah. every time I went. Did you have any idea what you might do with all of these old clothes? I had no idea. <laughs> I was just obsessed with it. And, and when I, and the only other feeling time in my life that I felt like that was about music when mm. I got into music playing music being around musicians and I and I lost myself in it I could just feel the soul and it just moved me in a way that I, I can't even really express verbally it's just something really deep inside of me and when I touched that fabric and I started meeting these people the the depth of this joy and this honor that mm. I felt just permeated wow. me Wow. And I, I, it's become one of the most proud things I've ever done. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't know how you sell any of it. <clears throat> it was it's very a, hard for me in the, the very beginning because we've we've had this conversation. But it, yeah, it's bringing these things back. Cause, yeah, these things are so personal, and the what you've gone through to get them, and especially if you've got one of a kind piece, you know how how do you let that go? It's like the stuff I brought back from Africa, you know, mm -hmm. the spears and yes. the, the jewelry and mm -hmm. every one of those, every single piece that I have has a story. And the thought of ever letting that go, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. So yeah, I don't know how you, because 
some of the pieces. I mean, you've seen them. It's they're yes, just I am, they're amazing. <laughs> they're amazing, and I was I just thank you. I couldn't they I are. couldn't let them go. And uh, yeah, and that's you talk about the the oh what was it? You didn't use the word mysticism. That's my word. Your connection, your passion around it, and uh, to a smaller degree, but to that degree for sure. That's how I felt when I saw them and oh, touched so glad. them. So for you to have experienced that literally, not only, I mean, in your body, in your, your life, and then traveling and meeting these people, I just, that is an experience I can, I just. I treasure I, it. Oh, I yeah. really, really treasure it. And um, I look forward to the day where I can continue that yeah. exploration. Rodney's giving me hope. <laughs> but, you know, to, to speak to Rodney's comments earlier about how do I, how do yeah. I par with it, in the beginning I couldn't. And I didn't even think about starting a business mm. with it. I just you just collected all I just of these suitcases literally, full and bags full of old clothes. I literally <laughs> did, and I would just sit in there, oh, and I would that's like brilliant. I, I, and finally, Palmer said to me, because I, I mean, I was wondering, <laughs> uh, honey. Well, I took. <laughs> have you thought about? <laughs> I took over the entire guest room and bathroom and study, oh. and it was just loaded. <laughs> and I mean, a lot of these fabrics when like, I passion's them one home, thing. The this was obsession. obsession and it was like yeah. it was um the, some pieces are just caked with mud or have layers and layers of embroidery and the, different things you know put together in different ways and but you I, saw something else i just felt i felt it and i saw it and it just moved me and i wanted to understand it mm. and, you know if you ask questions and you're patient the answers come to you mm -hmm. and people you know you, you we find each other we find you know meaning yeah. And um, so in the beginning, when we were living in this villa, Palmer would have, you know, all these wonderful designers coming over to meet with him and we would have cocktail parties or dinners at our, at our villa. And I just started, you know, Palmer was like, you got to do something. With this. What are you going to do? And I was like, well, I think I'll make some pillows for the house and this mm -hmm. and that. And so I started playing with the fabric and just figuring out what, what I could do, what yeah. worked. Some fabric didn't make it through the process. Others blossomed and, and some things surprised me when I got them clean. And mm -hmm. through experimentation, I started making things for our house. And I was asked by um, a couple of really well-known designers if, they were like, where did you get these? We need these for our showroom. And I'm like, who did these? And I said, well, those are mine. They're like, well, you need to come to show them in Singapore at the market. And I was like, no, 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 I, I don't even. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that. I don't even, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I can't part with this. And I don't, nobody, this is my thing, you know. And um, they talked me into it. They said, well, just, you don't have to sell it. Just, mm -hmm. just put it in there and let's just see what happens. Yeah, drive everybody crazy. Well, it, the response was overwhelming. <laughs> wow. And, um, and, and that's, that's when I was like, okay, you know, and then, you know, through, through various stages, like I would even hold back and I still do my, my personal collection is massive, mm. but, um, I want to come see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you'll spend hours with me and we won't even go through it all. Mm. But, um, but, you know, little by little, you know, when I, when I connect, like when I was showing you, I was showing you a chick a piece earlier and you connected with it, you know, immediately, it yeah. makes me, it, that makes me, helps me gift, you know, gift it to a new home, so to speak, you know, because I can part with it. Cause I, I feel like the yeah. joy is being, yeah. And that, and I think it's also, um, but really, really important that this part of this culture that I've been so lucky to experience is mm -hmm. celebrated and recognized mm -hmm. because it's going away. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with technology and all of this, you go to these really remote villages and they have cell phones. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. children, you know, they're not, they're not interested in the culture now. Now they're seeing other <coughs> things and they want to leave. And it's really a dying art. Mm -hmm. And um, farming is difficult and expensive and you know there's yeah. all these challenges like the passage of time things change so i think that this so, is so get your pieces now while you can yeah I, <laughs> yeah well and you also um in your literature and on your website and um, that there are is it six basic designs that you tend to work with from different villages um well uh yeah, is that something you generally determined, or is this part of the culture that well, they're obvious to you after? There are th six ethnic tribes okay. that tend to work with textiles or mm -hmm. are known for their textile mm -hmm. uh, skills, 
and the ways that they interpret or whether they use cotton or hemp or mm. indigo or bark or tea or whatever they do to get their colors and to have their uh, symbolism um, in their clothing or materials that they use, like they might do a blanket as, you know, a gift for a, a couple getting married mm. or um, at one village in uh, outside of Laos, uh, I happened on this little stack of all these scrap little embroidery pieces that was I was told one one person from one village was marrying a person from another mm -hmm. village so all the villagers got together and as part of the celebration made these little embroidery pieces mm -hmm. and gifted it to the visiting village for the wedding mm -hmm. and I found it by digging through this mud like mud floored hut where mm -hmm. this lady had all these old things from the village and invited me in and found it and was able to learn the story. So that would be something even outside of, yeah. you know, but generally yeah. there are six, six ethnic tribes. There are 54 in Southeast Asia, but six of them are known for their textile work. And you have visited all of them at this point? Well, some with, I mean, I still I don't mean all there's, 54, I mean the, the six. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I have been yeah. very lucky. Um, but you know, like, the same tribe may be in Laos, it may be in North Vietnam, and it may be in, in Burma or Myanmar. Mm. It's now, I still call it Burma, mm -hmm. but in Myanmar it uh, could be. But the way that they interpret or materials that are available results in oh, different yeah. fabrics and different times as well. Like if a piece is antique, you know, certain things and certain characteristics that the, the fabric takes on just due to age makes it incredibly special mm -hmm. but also techniques change um the way that they batik is a way that i can date a lot not specifically but generally speaking date a, a pattern mm -hmm. you know because there's certain patterns they don't do anymore same with the lao the lao tribe which is different than the lao people um their their weaves done in a certain period they don't do those patterns anymore they, they're so intricate okay. and they're doing it on these home looms they change with time and you never had any art background or art training or anything like that no. i just find this astonishing and so encouraging that when you follow your obsessions and your passions that all of this emerges well, I think with me, everything that I've ever made a living off of started mm -hmm. as just something I loved. Mm -hmm. And I think when we do what we love, then, you know, the universe conspires to support Assist that. Assist us, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, and two of my biggest loves have been music and, and now textiles. And it's, you know, it, neither one is leaving my heart yeah. <laughs> yeah. as long as I'm here on yeah. this earth. Yeah. Have you thought about exploring the music? over in Vietnam and the tribes? Oh, I, I did, and we have, and we continue mm. to. And there's there's um, an amazing collection of uh, music from the 60s called Saigon Soul. And mm. um, they were just uh, uh, coming back and recreating that, the, the younger musicians when we were there. So we got to mm. see a piece of that, mm. which was really exciting. What is that about? Well, I, I don't know that I'm so versed in it that I can speak totally intelligently mm -hmm. about it, but um, in the 60s, um, and now I really want to pull Palmer over to well, the Palmer, yeah. over. Uh, he's, he's refusing. <laughs> but um, in the, the 60s, there was, sitting over there. Yeah, there was just a real hipster swinging music scene mm. that was going on there in Cambodia, and it was really amazing. And before you know, well, in Cambodia, it was crushed by the Kumar Rouge, but mm. simultaneously in, in Saigon, there was this whole Saigon soul thing that was happening. And I don't know why it went away. I don't know enough about mm. it, but, um, you can even look on Spotify. Saigon soul is on there. Really. So yeah, there's, wow. a, there's the young, the young, uh, band that's recreating it. But if you go back, the old original recordings are there and they're amazing huh. they're so great yeah i'm gonna have to check this out yeah, yeah. maybe we could put a clip on the podcast right. there we go <laughs> it's very cool i'll send it to you no. please do brock are you listening you're no. gonna get a little clip <laughs> saigon so well it's just um i i was just so fascinated by you with the textiles and then you throw away these lines like well yeah i was working for austin city limits and the austin scene in fact i read a quote about you uh, let me find it because it's brilliant. Um, one of the most powerful women in the Austin music scene. 
Well, I mean, textile, you I had mean, me at textiles, okay? <laughs> um, so, but you grew up in Texas. Yeah, well. And you're a Texas State gal. Yeah, my mom's Texan. So I, I did actually grow up in, in Maryland, D.C. And then at 17, I, I was always coming to Texas growing oh. up several times yeah. a year. But at 17, I came full time. Wow. Yeah. That's when I left, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty, I'm really blown away by that quote. I don't know who said that. And probably somebody. That was me. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> I, somebody I paid to say something nice about me. I don't know. Um, that's, I don't, how I, that's how I got her to put my put her pillows in the, in the gallery. There you go. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, right? Apparently. I need to join this club. <laughs> uh, so how did you get into the music scene? I, mean, uh, I know, I mean, I know now that it was another thing that you were obsessed by, passionate about. But being passionate and obsessive um, is one thing. And then at working at that level in that particular music scene is just a whole nother thing. Well, my... Um, Rodney knows I'm really interested in point A's and B's or yeah. something about how people get from here to I there. I am too. I, I just I think love to fill in those, those empty spaces, those gaps. So please, yeah, <laughs> help no, us understand. I, I love that too. And I'm happy to share it. Mm. And um, I did in both cases with the textile and with music, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just mm. following my heart and uh, became what it became. But as a, in junior high school, well, I grew up in a musical family. Everyone oh. in my family, it was like, you you picked an instrument and you learned to play it at least one. So I grew up playing piano and guitar. And um and I always, you know, had like I had this sense that I wanted to play music because I loved the the vibration and the tones mm. and everything moved me, but I hated being on stage. Mm. <laughs> and um so I was always very conflicted with that. But I'd sit alone and play in my room. And not that I was ever anything to write home about at all. But um, at 17, I, I ended up in Nacogdoches, Texas, and um, met my best girlfriend. Uh, she's no longer with us, but just salute to you, Debbie. Um, she took me to this old bar called The Crossroads, and she was like, oh, you, you play guitar. You're going to love this guy. And it was Stevie Ray Vaughan, and it was the <laughs> second day. that um, And Double Trouble, Tommy yeah. and Chris. And um, second day, I was in Texas full time, and I was just speechless it was me and debbie and the trio playing in this you know crossroads uh with the manager who's this guy named bill in a wheelchair who was really mean and character (laughs) and i was just like my and i had the fake id you know so i was 17 and and here's this guy just wailing on guitar with this trio and i never heard anything like it and i was just like i i was speechless and afterwards, I, I talked to, you know, Stevie, and he said, oh, if you like this, you really need to go meet my friend Clifford Antone. And um, that was like kind of the start yeah. of it. S- simultaneously, my best friend Debbie, uh, at that point, was dating somebody who was like, uh, I can't remember what record company he worked with, but he was a big promoter for one of the major labels at the time. So meanwhile, she's talking to me about her boyfriend's career in the music business. And Stevie's talking to me about blues and Texas and Clifford Antone and all this stuff. And I don't know, it just started, started just like realizing there was this whole thing and I just wanted to learn more and more. So, um, so life went on and, and a lot of little details there, but I'll just skip it over. I ended up living in San Marcos. Texas, just outside of here, and where I met my husband, by the way, and um, and I started uh, cocktail waitressing at a club, and the owner of the club let me do live music shows because I just which I, one? Um, it was called LA's at the time in San Marcos. Yeah, what year Marcus. was that? It was eighty eighty four. It's 83, 84. Okay. Yeah, I got there in 88. And I don't, yeah. Yeah, you're younger. Than, it, you're a yeah. young, young yeah. guy. No, <laughs> not much. He's just a later boy. <laughs> not much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I started, I started going and, you know, Clifford Antone, I was friends with him. He would give me all these blues records. He'd go, he'd go, now take these home and go listen wow. to them and come back. Wow. So I was really just passionately loving it. Now, at this point, I realized I, there's no way I'm going to perform because it's just not me and I'm never going to be anything like these wonderful artists, but I'm seeing artists that are just blowing my mind. So I start doing shows and I start meeting musicians and then having successful and musicians are coming to me. And before I knew it, I started managing bands. And by the time I graduated 
college, uh, I had this big idea. I'm going to go get a job in the music business. And here's a nod to Mike Mordecai, who's just one of the icons of Austin music scene, the king of jazz in Austin for sure, and a trombone player. I went and interviewed with anybody who did anything in music, and Mike was the only one who gave me a chance. Hmm. He was in the back of the opera house that Willie Nelson owned, and Tim O'Connor, who just passed, um, used used to run and was partners with Willie in. And Mike had an office in the back on Music Lane. And I thought, wow, Music <laughs> Lane. It's the Austin Opera House, Willie Nelson. So I go in there and I'm 20, I think I'm 21. And um, Mike's got his feet up on the desk and there's baskets of cassette tapes and one dusty empty desk and a bunch of other agents in there. And Mike goes, so you want to work in the music business? And I'm like, yeah, I've been doing shows and I've got this band I'm working with. And he says, well, you can you can sit at that desk. You can keep 50% of anything you generate and you can start listening to these tapes and tell me if you find anything good. So I'm like, no salary, (laughs) no healthcare plan. And he said, he says, your call. And I said, "Um, okay, this was December. And I said, okay, I'm going to music. Yeah. I said, I'm going on a vacation with my family and I'll be back in January and him and, and, and uh, all the other agents there, Doug and Fred, they were all like, well, we'll never see her again. <laughs> and by the way, it's the 80s, so I had massive hair. <laughs> and I was wearing a bit, you know, like high heels and like, you know, a long three-quarter length skirt. And, and these guys are boots and jeans. And I, and I just totally had it all wrong. Well, January came. I showed up January 2nd in that office. And they were like, you're here. And I was like, yep, teach me the ropes. And Mm. that's when it started. And I ended up, uh, two years later starting my own company and, um, managed some great artists that are still my best friends in the Mm. world. Ian Moore. And bad mother goose and the brothers Grimm. Bad mother. goose. I loved them. (laughs) The best. What what happened to them? Well, um, Tim Kerr, who was, uh, the founder of bad mother goose, um, is now a terrific artist. He does the most amazing stuff and, and he's still playing tons of music. Denya moved to France and, uh, she's singing. She's a jazz singer now and doing really well in the south of France. And Paul is, you know, he's he's living in France as well. I mean, they're all doing great. Alvin's a professional fly fisherman. Billy Pringle's still, hmm. you know, everyone's still doing their thing. Uh, yeah, they were. I, I, we went and saw them all the time. They, well, and, then you met me call, back then. I, I had to have. They yeah. called me the principal of the school. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I've, I've still got my Bad Mother Goose CD. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That was the one we did with Capitol Records. Yeah. So um, so I was managing them, and I was managing Miles Zuniga, who is uh, the, mm-hmm. one of the founding members of Fastball. At the time, they were mm-hmm. called Big Car. And, you know, they were great artists, and they mm-hmm. trusted me, and we all had a passion. And I just started getting major record interest when it was the time when South by Southwest started, Mm -hmm. it was a little pond, but you know, those of us that had a foothold, you know, we, we got the, we got the real life school education of the music business. There were no music business classes back then. Hmm. So I got lucky and, you know, Ian ended up, we ended up touring with ZZ Top, which is how I got to be friends with Billy Gibbons, which is indirectly how I know you, Rodney and um, Rolling Stones and, Bob Dylan and, and, you know, did some wonderful stuff. I'm just breathless. So. <laughs> you're just fearless. Well, yeah. I, you know. Maybe I, in hindsight you're fearless, but <laughs> you are. I mean. I think it's always great just to be naive and passionate yeah. because yeah. if you if you just do if you're just following your passion and you you don't think about failing or worry about how mm-hmm. anything works, you just follow with it it ends up it ends up working out, you know. And um, yeah, Nike had it went right when they said, "Just do it." Just do you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's true. It's that simple. <laughs> it really is true, and it doesn't mean that it's easy. And when I say, "Oh," and then I was dealing, you know, yeah. I I was living on fifty dollars sometimes a month, mm. you know, but happy, you know. I I was doing what I love, so you know, it, it was all in perspective. But it was, you know, it was tough mm. too. You know, mm-hmm. you, you fall down, but you get up. Yeah, but yeah. if you're enjoying it, it's yeah. that's right. So. Mm. That's kind of a long answer to no, it's exactly what uh, what I need to hear, wanted to hear. It's just see why I wanted to talk more with her. I mean, I'm sitting standing in your gallery, and I didn't get enough that night. So. <laughs> I've lived a long time. Yeah. I, I oh, honey, several. I got you beat there. <laughs> different stories, lives. different passions, but uh, um, 
So music and textiles, and when do you think or hope that you might be able to go back to Vietnam? What, well, what's the situation there? We were talking a little bit about it uh, before we started. Why don't you fill yeah. us in on what's happening well, there? Well, Palmer, once again, my husband who won't get on the radio right now, um, <laughs> but he's in touch. He's still working with factories over there, and unfortunately, the pandemic's out of control there mm. at this point. They're just now starting to get vaccines, so... The country's on lockdown. Um, if you if you go in for business or you're a resident, you you have to be in quarantine, and they don't tell you when you get out. You know, mm. and right now, since nobody can travel from district to district, it's um, it's kind of scary. You can't you can't leave your place of residence from six p.m. to six a.m. Mm. And um, if you do, you have you know you have to stay within your area. And uh, we're told that food's being rationed and all of that. Mm. So, so it's really serious. Really serious. Yeah. So we're not imagining we're going to be able to go back this year, but hopefully next year. Mm. That's fingers crossed. How did you get out before the pandemic? Just sheer luck. And we um, we were kind of reimagining our life in Vietnam, and we had downsized from the uh, villa to a high rise and had moved in there and and, and enjoyed it the simplicity of it, lock and go, and not so much to deal with. But um, at the point, we were at the point where I was traveling all the time. I wasn't staying in Saigon and when he was working, then he'd just end up joining me. So I was like, why don't we just get rid of everything and we'll just start airbnb Hmm. So we, we sold everything or, you know, sent it home or whatever, and then came back a month later and did our first. And we're like, why didn't we do this all along? Mm. This is so freeing mm. instead of keeping a place here. Because at this point, we were starting to spend a lot more time back in the U.S. as well as Vietnam the last couple of years. And so at that point, we were set. We came home for the holidays and we thought we'll go back um, in early January. And the pandemic hit. Hmm. And luckily... So we, you just happened, again, big air happened. quotes, happened to be out of that country at that time. Just happened to be out. And we had put, wow. like, all my fabrics and all the things that I needed when I was there had put into storage. So we were so lucky because had we not... Had we been out of the country and that had hit and we had not gone back, yeah. everything would have been taken. Mm. It would have been... Because we wouldn't have been able to mm. yeah. deal with anything. Right. So, so you still got storage over there with yeah. all your... Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I was really lucky at the beginning because I didn't know how long we were going to be out. So I sent for like my most treasured fabrics. I had everything logged so I knew which boxes in the storage and it was a, a pretty difficult task, but we got it all out. Mm-hmm. So they still have some fabrics that I love and things that are in storage, but my my big mm-hmm. like fearful my real antique yeah. pieces I got out. So so do you have any plans locally here to do things with the fabrics that, since you're not back there, are you still going to continue well, with base the textile? Camp. Well, yeah. base, camp is, base camp is really just the biggest sense of pride uh, to sit in that gallery alongside mm-hmm. of Rodney's photographs is just such an honor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not kidding. It just blows me away. I love being there. It's the perfect, <clears throat> it's just a perfect space. Mm-hmm. It, it really was the the perfect, I feel like her stuff, it was the perfect, what am I trying to say? Just that it's, it was the icing Kindred. on the cake on the, on the gallery. It, well, how did that happen? Because y'all knew each other through music, but how did you connect in the well, gallery we, and with the textiles there? Yeah, it's, we, we met through a mutual friend. It was Gretchen Barber. Mm-hmm. And I remember she called me one day and she said, Hey, I'm going to this party with some friends of mine. It's over at their house. You know, do you want to go with me? And so I go over and I, I met them and it was just a, you know, I didn't, I don't think I knew anything about you guys, but there were, you know, and she was like, there's going to be a bunch of really great people there. And, you know, she, she used to work in the music business. And so I'm going, I'm meeting all these people. I was like, this is really cool. And, but I, and I don't, I don't think I left there knowing any more about you, you know, what you had done or that you were doing this yet. And then it was, you know, the Facebook thing. I started seeing her posting what she was doing. And I think I'd, Message you one day and I said, Hey, you know, I just, you know, I want to get a couple of your pillows. Yeah. And so she sent me a bunch of photos and I finally picked one or two. And then when the gallery came about, and my, my plan with the gallery was I, you know, I wanted it to be my photos. And then the, you know, kind of similar to what you're doing, you know, bringing these 
finding these special pieces and bringing them back and putting them in there. And obviously with COVID, I haven't been able to do that, but I wanted to find unique things instead of just going to market or whatever and filling it with, you know, stuff that anybody else can get. I, I called Jan. I said, you know, cause, cause I, and we haven't talked much more, you know, about on, you know, today about, you know, particular pieces and what they, what these are actually made of, you know, like the, the prayer bolsters and mm-hmm. the baby carriers and right. the things that she is finding. They're not just textiles. They're, they're unique pieces and she's creating other unique pieces with them. And it was just a perfect match for what I was wanting to do. And yeah, when I, when I called her to, you know, uh, you know, would you want to be a part of this and bring some pieces over? And she came with bags of pillows. <laughs> she's like, you, multiple ones like that one in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah multiple. I mean, the, her car was just packed full of it. And she's like, you know, just you know, pick what well, you want. Passion is a big thing, Rocky. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's huge. But I, yeah, I'd, she said, you know, you don't just, you know, I know you're not going to want all of it, but just you know, p- pick you know the pieces. And she went home with nothing. So <laughs> this is true. She, she left everything. <laughs> and so oh, yeah it was great. just it was it was that perfect finishing mm-hmm. thing that just felt yeah. like it just really brought the gallery yeah. together and it's just been a it's been a perfect union it's yeah yeah so yeah it, it's you know once I'm able to start traveling in and bringing things in on my own mm-hmm. it, this is still going to continue to be a as long as she'll keep doing it. I'll so. keep doing it as long as you'll have me. Yeah, the stuff is so cool in there. I think I told you this story the other night <clears throat> between rainstorms, but I'm sure I haven't told you. Just last Saturday, Bob and I went to see Nonsense at the Players, and we used to be on the board. And it was just great fun. We, it's a really fun, just what you need for summer in the middle of everything else going on kind of show. So we're walking around the parking lot, and um, a couple of the people – that one of the people that is very involved and we know really well, and one of the actors um, was sitting there and he was sitting with the woman that they had staffed the concession. So we were just chatting how great it was. I forget how it came up, but somehow base camp came up. <laughs> it always does, right? <laughs> and um, I said, oh, no, I was talking about uh, being a, doing a podcast with a co-host and she said, who's that? And I said, it's Rodney. He has this great gallery. It's called Base Camp. She goes, oh, Base Camp. I was just there with my husband a few days ago, and it's the most amazing place, but the textiles. <laughs> and I said, she's going to be on our podcast very soon. So this, this chain of connection that your work, I was, I was going to say is creating, but I'm going to choose the word giving access to, um, is a really powerful force. And Thank it, you. It's, it's showing up in so many ways. So thank, thank you. you both for... For you doing it and you having the gallery and somehow make understanding and recognizing that it's the perfect, perfect fit. Well, it's proof that when you do what you love, you know, yeah. it brings like-minded yeah. people around and that brings success. You know, what what is success? Like for me, the success is being able to feel and interact and have this experience and yeah. then to share it to see it connecting with others that's that's yeah. icing on the cake yeah. that's the cherry on top yeah. you probably feel that way about your your photographs in the gallery how people relate to it and, and oh, how you zero in on certain ones out of all the others it's been know? so interesting yeah it's to see people to have especially when they don't know mm-hmm. who i am yet that mm-hmm. you know that i'm the photographer and to watch how they react mm-hmm. and the ones that in particular that they're reacting to has been really mm-hmm. fun and you know to hear their their feedback on it and you know there there were some photos that i put in there just really for the the impact one this people aren't going to really be interested in this or want this in their home but i'm doing it for the shock factor and but they want it and those those are the ones that they want and it's you know it's like the crocodile you know with the big you know the mouth wide open i was gonna say it must be the crocodile you know that's that's one of them but i was like you know nobody's ever gonna want this but it's definitely gonna spark some interest Mm -hmm. and some you know the open a conversation and that's been one of the most loved photos in Mm -hmm. there so it's yeah it's Mm -hmm. been it's been fun so yeah, it's and the same with 
And this, I, this, we were talking earlier about having, you know, a video podcast, and this is mm-hmm. kind of right now where I wish we had that right. so we could show, show your pieces and tell the stories behind them. Because, yeah, they're, they're not just beautiful pieces, but right. each one, the, what, the symbolism on all of mm-hmm. them. And I wish you were in the gallery every day to be mm-hmm. able to, to tell, to, you know, to talk about mm-hmm. these because... I, I can't do it justice. But. Well, um, I, I could describe, I, one of my bestsellers is a, is a pillow I do called a prayer bolster. And the reason I called them prayer bolsters is um, on the jackets, if you can imagine, I guess I'll try to do this without visuals, is if you were to drape something over your shoulders and then stitch it on a jacket, um, that's what I take. I take these shoulder covers off these jackets and I compare it each one is unique. They're, they're woven fabric, either hemp, um, cotton, or a mixture of both. Then the fabric is dyed with teas, barks, indigos, maybe all the above, maybe one, and then embroidered and sewn onto this jacket. So when the jackets get old, I take them, I buy them, and I remove this patch, and I combine it with silk velvet. It makes a long rectangular box into it, and each one is embroidered with things that they they believe bring blessings or protection because they're very superstitious. Mm. And so one of the most common symbol that you'll see in every single prayer bolster that they wear on their shoulders is the symbol of a um, diamond inside a square. And that's the symbol of the great spirit. So they mm. believe by when you wear the symbol of the great spirit, it brings them protection. Mm. And, um, and every other symbol, like long uh, peaks, uh, is the symbol of mountains. So you'll see that a lot on the prayer bolster. And that symbolizes keeping the good spirits in and the evil spirits out. Or you might see rows and rows of like little dots, and those are rice fields. And that means abundance. Mm. So everything mm. has a yeah. meaning. And the prayer bolster is really a long, if they're long and narrow, like usually about four feet. I mean, no, excuse me, th- three to four feet. Mm. Some are extremely long, but generally in the three foot, three to four feet range and about 18 to 20 inches tall. So it's a real, it makes a real statement. You can actually see the story across the shoulders. It doesn't read like, here's mm. the beginning, this is an end, but the symbolism of what yeah. they're, what the, the person who made it was wishing for the person they were making yeah. it for. Well, Rodney, I think on that note, <laughs> that would be a lovely way to wrap up on themes of not only following your passion, but doing your passion and obsession around that um, and success. And I would, I would like to end with another quote I found about you. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I mean, I felt this way when I met you, but after today, um, and I can, I, there are references in all these if you want them, but I just think this is so beautiful. Your life, she was talking about, she was talking to an audience. Your life will be better simply knowing her. Oh, so that's thank so you. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, know who you for that was? Sh- no. <laughs> who was thank that? You for sharing <laughs> so much of your heart and your passion and and who you are. It's just been a joy. Thank you and so for much for sticking with us through all of our <laughs> our fits and trials yeah. of, of getting going. And we always need to thank or remember to thank. He's now our senior executive producer. Double senior. Right, double senior executive <laughs> producer. Brock Glenn Thomas. Um, award-winning. Award-winning, and truly award-winning. Um, we'll talk more about that, I think, in our, our maybe have him on. Yeah, we need, to, yeah, we need to have him. That would be yeah. two birds. <laughs> 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 yeah. Sorry, Brock, we, we only meant that in the kindest, you know, most positive way. Um, we also want to thank Rupert Neve Design, um, who was just so gracious in helping us get started and whose equipment, and you are using, actually, a Rupert Neve Design Billy Gibbons edition microphone. You, oh, Jan, right, right there. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Very cool. And we want to thank Donovan Frankenreiter for our intro and our outro music. And most of all, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in again and helping make Passports and Poets a wonderful experience for us. And we hear from some of you for you. So until next time, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you again soon.